What kind of things make us feel like we just can't keep going in this Christian life? What steals our joy and motivation to persist on this faith journey? Welcome to Him We Proclaim. Today, John Fonville addresses the doctrine of persistence and how to keep from falling into one of the oldest traps of earning our way back to God after we sin as a believer. The good news is Christ has already made a way for us, and we'll hear our prayers. Let's wrap up our mini-series called How to Keep Going. Here's John with Never Let the Doctrine of Persistence Become the Covenant of Works, Part 2. The Mosaic Covenant was a principle of law based on you must do this to get this. And Paul says, when God gave salvation, justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, when he gave the Abrahamic covenant, the gospel, on the basis of grace and free promise, and then 430 years later, he gave the Mosaic covenant, which said, do this and live. Paul is asking this. He says, is the Mosaic covenant then changing the Abrahamic covenant so that salvation is no longer by grace through faith in Christ alone, but now salvation is God gets you in, but you got to cooperate to be finished. And Paul says, certainly not. The Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants are not contrary He says, if law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, by the Mosaic Covenant. He says, but verse 22, the scripture, what is the scripture here? He's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. He says, but the Mosaic Covenant imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ given in the Abrahamic Covenant might be given to those who believe, not to those who do this and live. Look at verse 24. He says, then the Mosaic covenant was our guardian, our strict disciplinarian until Christ came so that in order that we might be justified by faith as promised in the gospel beforehand, the Abrahamic covenant. Do you see Paul's argument What Paul is saying is that why did God give the Mosaic Covenant? He gave it to serve as this strict disciplinarian to show Israel and to show us that no man can be justified by works of the law. You cannot be justified and saved initially or finally by do this and live. It's impossible. He gave the Mosaic Covenant to show us that without a doubt, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one, Paul says in Romans chapter 3. You see, the strictness of the Mosaic Covenant, the old covenant, which was the law, was intended by God to point us not to our ability, but to our sin, so that we would look to Christ. So that Israel will turn and look to Christ, to the Son of God, because who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. Who was Adam? He was the disobedient Son of God. Who was Israel? He was the disobedient Son of God. None of them kept the covenants that God had made, that none of them fulfilled them so that they would obtain final salvation. None of them. Only one son of God who eventually came did this. This is why the the Mosaic Covenant points us to the only son of God who did fulfill the law's demand of 
do this and live. Leviticus 18.5, which says, do this and live. That's where Jesus gets that from in Luke 10, verse 28. This is why the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, listen, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He fulfilled the penalty of the law. He fulfilled the curse for us. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time came, God the Father sent forth his son, born of a woman. Listen, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, which said, do this and live. And we haven't done this and lived. We've actually done the opposite, and we've died. And so Jesus came and did for us what we could never do. He lived the kind of life in conformity to the entire law of God, and he did this and lived for us. You see, here's our problem. As fallen human beings, we think that we can save ourselves or at least we can contribute something to our salvation by fulfilling the covenant that God has made with us for our final salvation. Somehow we think that we can pull this off. Self-justification is deeply woven into the fabric of our souls. We're tempted to think in our self-righteousness that we can do this and live, at least partly. But you see, this kind of wrong thinking is precisely why God gave the Mosaic Covenant. Listen to what this one Bible teacher writes about that. He says, God demanded of his son Israel obedience to his law to merit the blessings of the covenant. If Israel could earn the earthly blessings by their obedience, then there might be a chance for a fallen man to earn his way to heaven. Yet, generation after generation failed. They failed miserably. Israel was barely off the shores of the Red Sea when Aaron had already made the golden calf. They had already broken the Ten Commandments before they even got them. In Judges, each generation intermarried with the Canaanites and worshiped their gods. Regarding the Davidic covenant, every single king failed in Israel. Every son of David was a miserable failure. Despite all his wisdom and riches, Solomon lusted after the gods of his many wives. Then every king, one after another, kept sinning against the Lord. Some were better than others, but none of them could prevent the curses of the Mosaic Covenant from coming. Israel could not stay in God's presence by means of the Mosaic Covenant, the law. They could not earn life with God. Even after such a powerful lesson as the exile, Jesus came and found Israel led by a brood of vipers where even the teachers of the Mosaic Covenant were called whitewashed tombs. Without a doubt, the Mosaic Covenant paints across history the lives of real people that no man can be justified by works of the law. Rather, none is righteous. And then they ask this question, do you think that you can in some way, ever so small, earn something from God? 
It's a good question. He says, if you think this, think again and look at Israel. Even the impressive piety of Moses and David is not good enough. Moses struck the rock and he died outside the promised land. David slept with Bathsheba and commanded the census and was punished. As the fallen children of Adam, we need to become the righteousness of God to have everlasting life in heaven with God. But there's no way we can do this ourselves, even with the help of God's grace. Rather, this is what he says. He says, we need one to do it all for us. And he says, in this one we find in Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He is the true Adam. He is the son of God. Listen, who was born under the law and of a woman. He is the true Israel who remained obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant was to lead Israel to trust in the free promise of grace and salvation that they received through the Abrahamic covenant, which was the gospel and promise before Christ came. And the scriptures then are crystal clear that no man has fulfilled any covenant that God has made in order to achieve final salvation. No man has ever done that. That is absolutely impossible. And so here's my point. We must never allow the doctrine of perseverance to be turned into a covenant of works. Yet, how often are believers threatened with the form of the covenant of works? Let me give you an example here. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this verse. How many times have you had this verse uh, uh, quoted to you as a threat? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. How many of you had that quoted to you? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And believers are continually threatened with that. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You, you better be holy or else you're not going to see the Lord. And so believers are threatened with texts like this. That, that, that becomes a form of the covenant of works. I'm going to discuss this with you because I receive questions about Hebrews 12, 14 on Facebook constantly. <laughs> I get questions from people all the time, and it's either about Matthew 7, the Lord, Lord warning passage, which I clarified a couple weeks ago, or it's this passage, without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. Oh, Pastor John, you know, I mean, I'm just sinning, and I'm not holy. I mean, I mean I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna make it. Am I gonna be saved? Am I gonna see the Lord? What do I do with this? First, understand this. Yes, we are called to be holy. <laughs> Absolutely. We've already established that we are saved for or unto good works. Paul makes this crystal clear throughout his letters. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, he says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And the grace of God teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. This is what the grace of God teaches us. 
The grace of God, he says, teaches us to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel teaches our hearts to look for and, and, and yearn for the second return of Christ. The gospel, it says, verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us, substitutionary atonement, the, the heart of the gospel. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from, listen, every lawless deed. He, he, he died to save us from my licentious lifestyle. Listen, he died to, re, to purify for himself, for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. So we're not saying that the gospel is a license to just go out and just indulge in your sin. Yes, we're called to live a holy life. But here's the key point to understand. The good works that we are called to do are done out of thankfulness of heart by the believer who has been saved, not by one who is trying to be saved. We don't do good works. We don't pursue holiness in order to obtain final salvation. Listen, we do not do good works to fulfill the covenant that God has made with us for our final salvation. Rather, listen carefully, we do good works because our final salvation has already been given to us in Christ who has fulfilled the law for us. So here's the question. Why do folks like this author, why do they remodel the gospel and turn the gospel on its head by turning the doctrine of perseverance into a covenant of works? Why do they do that? They do it because they think that only a doctrine of salvation by works will motivate people to live a holy life. So to correct what they perceive as antinomianism, false assurance, licentiousness, listen to what they do. They make obedience. They make holiness the condition for salvation or for final salvation, obtaining final salvation. But this approach to holiness turns the gospel on his head and is contrary, actually, ironically, to living a holy life. If we have to fulfill the covenant that God has made for us for our final salvation, this makes the practice of holiness the means or the cause of eternal life rather than the effect or fruit of it. Listen carefully how it works out. So believers are threatened. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord be holy, do this and live. Be holy and you will obtain final salvation. Do you see how the covenant of grace has turned into a covenant of works so slightly there? In this viewpoint, holiness becomes the means to the end. Do this, be holy, and you will see the Lord. Do this and live. That's not what this passage is saying. That's not how you treat these passages to those who are in Christ. When you tell people, be holy and you'll be finally saved, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So you do this and live. 
When when it comes across to you like that, perseverance is turned into a covenant of works. This viewpoint turns the gospel on its head. It remodels the gospel because it requires you to be holy first so that you can obtain final salvation last. Is everybody tracking with me? And so achieving holiness, be holy, becomes the means rather than the effect of salvation. Holiness, yes, is an absolutely necessary part of our salvation. Without holiness, you can never see God. This is true. But make sure you don't misunderstand this. Holiness in your life is not a means to an end. Your attempts at being holy does not obtain your salvation initially or finally. Holiness is part of the end of salvation itself. This is what Paul says. You are saved in order to do good works that God prepared in advance that you should walk in them. Holiness, your holiness, your meager attempts, my meager attempts at holiness does not achieve initial or final salvation. Listen, our holiness is the fruit and result of our salvation. So those who are in Christ are what's called sanctified. That means set apart. That means you have been made holy. If you're in Christ, you are holy. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice has been reckoned to you. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Jesus has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, holiness, and redemption. All who are in Christ are sanctified because Christ's holiness is imputed to the believer. Listen to question 60 in the Heidelberg Catechism. How are you righteous before God? I'm not going to read the whole answer, but just listen to this. You're righteous because God the Father, out of sheer grace, imputes to you the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and listen, and holiness of Christ. So that it is as if I have never had nor committed any sin. And as if I have accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me. If you're in Christ, God sees you as holy. God sees the believer as holy. Therefore, we are called to be holy, not as a means for obtaining final salvation, but as a result of the salvation we have received. Do you see the difference? I want you to listen to one of my professors and uh, a dear friend, Scott Clark, as he comments on the believer's uh, perseverance and, and preservation. First of all, he quotes from the Canons of Dort when he says, because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in that grace to the end. 
And he says this about that passage from the Canons of Dory. He says, so great are the remains of sin, temptations, and the power of the accuser. Even the elect are utterly dependent upon the grace of Christ for our perseverance and our preservation. He says, mark those words, but God is faithful. That's what we saw last week from Psalm 6. He's filled with steadfast love, covenant faithfulness. God does not give to us the justice we deserve. He gives us mercy. He restrains his judgment against our sin. He strengthens us in his unconditional favor for Christ's sake. God does not approve of us justification. He does not sanctify us, put to death the old man and make alive the new man. He doesn't glorify us because we are good enough, but because he is faithful to the gracious promises to be a God to us in Christ. And listen to this. I love this, what he writes. He says, we make it to the finish line only because he carries us across. Never allow the doctrine of perseverance to be turned into a covenant of works. Because when that happens, the gospel is remodeled into the law. You lose the gospel, you lose your assurance, and you lose the motivation to keep going. And so as we reflect this morning on the error of turning the doctrine of perseverance into a covenant of works, I just want to finish with this last point of application. This is what we've looked at. As believers, we do not live under a covenant of works in our relationship to God. We don't relate to God on this principle, do this and live. Listen, we live under a covenant of grace which says live, therefore do this. This means that our perseverance isn't based on a covenant of works. Our perseverance isn't based on do this and live. Why is this important? Knowing this, knowing that we do not relate to God on the basis of our performance, but rather Christ's performance for us, and here's the application, it frees you to live your life in assurance and to keep going. There's no greater joy, this author says, contributing, there's no greater contributing factor to our joy and comfort as Christians than the reality that God accepts us in spite of the fact that we still struggle with sin and disobedience. This is what this author says. He says, knowing that God loves us on account of Christ protects us from the roller coaster of our own conscience and emotions. That's why it is just so critical when you're walking in darkness at times in your life and you don't see any light of your own and you're struggling with your flesh and sin, you have to understand that don't let your perseverance be turned into a covenant of works. Your sin never turns the gospel into do this and live. Isn't that a comfort? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we have received in Christ. 
We thank you that we do not relate to you, Father, on the basis of our good enough performance, but on the basis of Christ's perfect performance for us. We thank you that because of Christ and that we're in Christ by faith, faith alone, we have received his imputed holiness so that it is as if we have never committed any sin and that we have never had any sin and as if we are perfect law keepers. We thank you for this comfort. And so I pray that as we go throughout this week and we fight the world and we fight our flesh and we fight the accuser of our faith, I pray that you would help us to go into this battle with this comfort and with this powerful knowledge that our perseverance, our holiness, our attempts at obedience are not based upon do this and live, but it's based upon the fact that we have been brought alive in Christ, and therefore, in light of that grace that we've been given, we are free to obey, not for life, but from it. And so comfort and motivate our hearts by grace today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called Never Let the Doctrine of Persistence Become the Covenant of Works, Part 2. It's from the miniseries called How to Keep Going. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. <laughs>